are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with Sports Illustrated's Ben Golliver. Coming up, we'll talk about if the Raptors are in the driver's seat to keep Kawhi Leonard, and if Jamal Murray was out of line at the end of that Nuggets-Celtics game. But let's start in Houston where the Rockets are getting their defensive coordinator back. Jeff Bezelik, who retired just before training camp after turning Houston's defense into a top-10 unit last season, has agreed to reprise his role and rejoin the Rockets at the end of the month. The Rockets need any help that they can get as their defense has gone from being ranked 7th in in defensive rating last season to 21st this season. Not so great. So, Ben... How much will this help the Rockets' defense? Well, you know, I, I don't say this to be uh, dramatic, but, I mean, Mike D'Antoni's made it pretty clear throughout his career, and to me, he's a Hall of Fame coach, right? But he does not mm-hmm. care about defense. If you were going into a Mike D'Antoni-led team meeting, probably the first five or six or maybe even ten topics in that meeting is going to be offense, 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 offense. He knows that that's has been his bread and butter. You know, that's where his creativity has always kind of uh, come out throughout his career, whether it was Phoenix or uh, wherever else. And uh, I think it kind of shows this year, to be honest, because, you know, defense, I mean, yes, there's going to be schemes and everyone's talked about you know, the switching. Is it still going to work? And yes, there's going to be uh, some personnel factoring into that, too. But I think there's also just uh, a mental side of it, too. Like, everybody's got to be up and wanting to do it. And if you're just getting the vibe from your coach, which is like, look, let's pace ourselves, let's care about offense, let's try to run teams out of the building, you know, we're going to, you know, be penciled into the Western Conference Finals because that's where we were last year. We're bringing back our stars. I could easily see how you have a hangover or a letdown coming into this season, especially if the one guy who did really care about defense last year isn't around. So, Uh, As you mentioned, uh, big fall off in terms of their defensive efficiency ranking. Uh, I'm not going to say that, you know, you you bring this assistant coach back that automatically jumps them back up to where they were last year. But I definitely think there will be a noticeable impact just because of the, you know, the climate or the culture of a D'Antoni led team. It just needs to have that uh, that two way balance. And they clearly haven't had that so far this season. Yeah, I think a lot has been made over the system, the switching scheme that Pazelic introduced last year and got guys to buy into. You were able to hide a guy like James Harden, who's not necessarily great. Clint Capella had a breakout year, especially defensively. But it's more than just a system having the defensive coordinator there. I mean, like, they brought the same system over. I mean, he's, he was gone, and they had the same system for the first couple weeks of the season. The, the what What they're really missing, I think, is that day-to-day coaching. And if you're the Rockets and you're ultimate goal in life is to dethrone the Warriors, right? You look up at Oak- in Oakland, they've got a guy named Ron Adams who's stand- who-, who sits there every day, who's known as one of the best defensive coordinators ever, right? One of the best defensive minds in the NBA right now. And he's coaching players up every single day, going through film, doing things like that. And that's the sort of stuff that Jeff Bezelik did for the Rockets last year. They didn't have that presence. So it's more than just the scheme. And I think because of Carmelo Anthony's comments, we tend to focus on the scheme and things like that. Um, well, but look, this is just step. Well, go ahead. Yeah, let me add. I mean, Carmelo Anthony says scheme because he doesn't want everybody saying, "Look, you're the weak link. Like you're the reason why the <laughs> right. scheme doesn't work." And I think you know you're dead on. I mean, of course, it's going to be about the day to day voice. Absolutely right. It's going to be some about the scheme and who's comfortable in it. Are they all hitting the ground running together with so many new rotation pieces? I think that's definitely a question because they lost some key guys in Ariza and Mute, and they're adding some other key guys uh, who didn't play that scheme with them, sort of on a playoff level last season. Um, I do think, 
you know, the reason in Bahamute things are big because those are multi-positional mm-hmm. defenders, right? They're switching guys who can guard three or four spots. And if everybody on your uh, starting lineup, uh, including Capella, including Harden, inclu- and including Paul, can all switch comfortably, like the guards can guard bigs and Capella is pretty darn good when he gets out there on the perimeter in terms of staying with guards. It works. All it takes is one guy, let alone two guys, who can't stick in those switching uh, setups for the whole thing to crumble and for the players to, you know, kind of point fingers and say, "Hey, it's a scheme issue." When, you know, in reality, it's a personnel issue at at its base. So uh, that's why I said I think it's going to help. But I don't think an assistant coach can cure everything that ails Houston's defense because they don't have Ariza, they don't have Mbamute, and they do seem to want to play Carmelo substantial minutes this year. And I don't think you can have an elite defense with Carmelo Anthony on the court. I don't think that's a controversial statement either, by the way. I think it's no. pretty Captain I've got a Carmelo Anthony take. Bring it on. Let's I, hear I, it. I think he's do you remember Tracy McGrady sitting on the end of the Spurs bench? Oh yeah. I think Carmelo Anthony is much closer to that than he is to all-star version Carmelo Anthony. No, I'm with and you. And that's probably his the best bet here. I think, look, you're right. This is step one, right? You get you get Bezelic back. That's step one. You're probably not getting Ariza back. He's very happy in Phoenix making $15 million a year and dealing and just watching Devin Booker chuck up jumpers. But uh, Luke Mbamute, I understand why you, you, you don't re-sign him. He had that shoulder issue that was a nagging issue in the playoffs last year. But they've got to figure this out, right? They like last year you had Mbamute, you had Ariza, you had PJ Tucker. So you had three guys to basically rotate into those two wing positions around those those three guys you mentioned, uh, Capella, Harden, and Chris Paul. And they only got one guy right now in Tucker. James Ennis has not been great. I mean, he's fine. He's like a decent player, but let's not kid ourselves in saying that James Ennis should be competing against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals in a Game Seven, right? I mean that they they need to make some personnel moves. If I'm the Rockets, I'm I'm calling up Atlanta. I'm asking about what the price is for Kent Bazemore. I'm calling up Miami and saying, "Hey, Rodney Magruder, he's in. A, what do you what do you want for Rodney Magruder? Because I think he'd be a great fit, and he's on an expiring. Miami's not going to be able to afford him at the end of the season. What would it take to get him, or even a Wayne Ellington? Um, they they've got to make some moves here for some veterans who can, or or players that can just do stuff defensively and switch and do things. Because again, Bazelic, step one. But there's definitely other steps involved here. They've got to make some moves. No, I really like where your head's at. And, you know, one other point here just to kind of maybe tie this off is you mentioned P.J. Tucker. Look, I really like P.J. Tucker in the role that Mm -hmm. he had last year when he's sort of like the fourth or fifth most important guy in, in your best lineups. But when you do lose those other players, you know, whether it's Ariza and Ba Mute, and now your lineups are stretched a little bit more and now you're asking Tucker to do even more of the dirty stuff than he was, you know, kind of in previous seasons. Uh, you know, that does start like, you know, the, you know, the back starts to break just a little bit there. And, you know, D'Antoni came into the season. And he was kind of clowning the SI top 100. He was saying, you know, uh, PJ Tucker, you know, he's basically suggesting PJ Tucker should have been like a top 15 or 20 player in the league on our ranking because, uh, <laughs> you know, who, how many people can do what he does defensively? Like he's right up there with Draymond. And I think what you're seeing is like, he is not that guy. Like if he's the best defensive player on your team or him or Capella is your best defensive player, uh, you need more help if you want to be an elite defense. Mm-hmm. And so I do think, you know, Houston, uh, you know, they, there might've been a little too much pride, a little bit too much, uh, you know, chest puffing up a little bit after their Western conference finals last year. I mean, even though it ended so, uh, so poorly in game seven, that was the best season in franchise history. Right. And I think they came back a little bit too cocky, frankly, and that goes for their coaching staff and, uh, and I think, you know, some of their main superstars. But all of that being said, I already think that their worst days for this season are behind them. You know, they started slow in part because Paul missed some time with the suspension in part because, uh, you know, Harden was injured off the top. 
when those guys are on the court, they win basketball games. They, they've played pretty well here over the last few days. And I think that they've rebounded from uh, what was a pretty ugly opening couple weeks. Yeah, the suspension obviously hurt all, you know, Harden's injuries and stuff. Having everybody back, they'll be fine. Having Bazelic back, that puts some more um, structure into that defensive side of the ball and things like that. And maybe they'll start going over defense and film session, like you said, because uh, D'Antoni does not prefer to do that. But before we move on, let's check in on the other scores of the night. Jamal Murray goes off for 48 points as the Nuggets beat the Celtics, 115-107. to Denver is now 9-1. and Ben, I know you've got some, some things to say about Jamal Murray, but we'll get there. Uh, the Raptors, again without Kawhi Leonard, beat the Jazz 124-111. to Larry continues to put up double-digit assists. He had 11 tonight. The Heat down the Pistons 120-115 to in overtime. Josh Richardson, 27 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. He's playing well. James Harden and Victor Oladipo both scored 28 points apiece, but the Rockets get the win. They beat the Pacers 98-94. to Evan Fournier with a game-winning 22-footer at the buzzer puts the Magic past the lowly Cavaliers 102-100. to Cavs can't get a break. It took two overtime periods, but the Bulls beat the Knicks 116-115. to Zach Levine, 41 points, including the game-winning free throw. Zach Levine doing a better job getting the line this year. The Thunder beat the Pelicans 122-116. to Russell Westbrook played just 25 minutes before suffering a left ankle sprain after going up for a rebound. X-rays came back negative, and I'm assuming we'll get more information as time goes on on the deal with Westbrook. And as the time that Ben and I are recording this, late night on a Monday, the Grizzlies and Warriors are still playing, and the Timberwolves and Clippers are still playing. I'm just going to guess that the Warriors pull away. Oh, they already have. It's 102-77. to There we go. And uh, the Clippers probably pull away from the Timberwolves because that's the Timberwolves usually just collapse at the end of games. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, have the Raptors done enough to convince Kawhi to stay? We'll be right back. You know, ever since launching the podcast, people have been asking me for advice, and usually it's what team to bet on this week. And the truth is, I don't know who's going to win, but if you think that you know, you've got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are the best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site is easy to use. Lay down some cash and win big today. I'd only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim that bonus and let them know that you came from us. You play, you win, you get paid. We're going to look ahead to tonight's games later on, but right now it's time for True or False, and we start in Denver, where Jamal Murray almost went for 50 points in Denver's win over the Celtics. I say almost because it's very important. True or false, and I'll let you set the stage here, Ben. Jamal Murray was out of line and trying to break 50 at the end of that game. Yeah, true. I think he was absolutely out of line. And so first things first, he was at home. I think he got caught up with the mm-hmm. home crowd there in Denver, and he was really feeling himself. He's a a confident, borderline cocky player, and I love that about him. And just to be clear, like, Jamal Murray was my pick for most improved player before this season started. I love everything about this kid. I think he's going to be an all-star here in about two years. And I think he's a major factor in, you know, Denver's really dream start. 
he won this game uh, for the Nuggets. It was a really entertaining, uh, you know, back and forth game with the Celtics, kind of a point guard a duel between him and Kyrie Irving, and he did not disappoint. But when you get into the last two minutes of it, he was stuck on 48 points, and he was just really chasing that 50 West. I mean, it was obvious he was trying to get the ball on defensive rebounds so that they would foul him. Uh, he was doing everything he could to kind of get to the basket. He missed a reverse layup and thought he was fouled on like the second or third to last possession of the game. Um, and so he was just stuck on that 48 and you could tell he wanted it so badly and he looked exhausted. I mean, he played his heart out in this game, but the last play, uh, they don't foul him. He's dribbling the clock out and you think they're just going to take the win. Of course, they're up by eight. The game is already in hand and Boston's not playing defense, you know, like you just don't in that situation rather than just hold the ball, wait for the final buzzer and shake hands with everybody. Jamal Murray jacks up a three-pointer with basically one second left, hoping that it will go in and give him 51 and have, you know, basically give him that 50-point night. Uh, Kyrie Irving and the Celtics took immediate exception to it. If you watch the video, it's hilarious. The referee Mm -hmm. goes sprinting in between them to try to break up, you know, any, uh, you know, jawing, pushing and shoving. And then after the fact, Kyrie Irving actually tracks down the game ball and chucks it into the stands. And when he was asked about that later in in the post-game press conference, he said what Murray did was BS and the ball deserved to be in the stands because of uh, the way he conducted himself. On top of that, Marcus Morris said that Murray had been unprofessional. And look, nine times out of 10, I'm going to side with Jamal Murray in all aspects of life. I really do like him as a player and as a, a potential star. And Kyrie Irving really drives me nuts, especially with all that flat earth stuff. He's just so disingenuous. And I think, uh, you know, really doing some you know harmful effects to society. But I got to say here, Wes, 100 percent agreement with both Kyrie Irving and Marcus Morris on this play. Completely unacceptable uh, from Jamal Murray. One of the worst violations of, quote unquote, the code uh, that you will ever see and a very shameless attempt to, to pad his stats and. I was glad the Celtics kind of, you know, you know, checked him, put him into line and, and let him know that that was not OK. And when he was walking around the court, he was pretending like, oh, what did I do? I don't even know. Jamal Murray, you knew exactly what you were doing when you did that. Don't do it again. You're going to have the opportunity to score 50 points in the future and earn it. You know, don't backdoor your way into it when no one's guarding you with a cheap shot at the buzzer. Uh, that's the way, you know, karma you know, winds up coming back to bite you when you do stuff like that. Yeah, he's lucky he doesn't play baseball because this is one of those situations where the next time you play the Celtics, they throw a pitch at you, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I just want to point out the first two times you've been on the podcast here, uh, you've pointed out sportsmanship, and I think that you've kind of taken on the the sportsmanship beat. We talked about Clay <laughs> yeah, Thompson right. and the Warriors last week. We're talking about Jamal Murray, so I think I just. Pointing it out. You're on the sportsmanship beat. You're the official reporter on this. You know, it's sad how much this kind of stuff matters to me. And look, I'm all for like, you know, operating in gray areas like, hey, if you want to push and, you know, try to take a run at a Kobe Bryant's 81 point record, like I can kind of understand it. I mean, the Devin Booker 70 point game that really bothered me the way they were chasing that one, you know, late in a loss. But, you know, eventually I got over it. I just thought this was such a clear case where. You're trying to, you know, rub your opponent's nose in the loss, and you're trying to get your own number at the expense of, uh, you know, the good of the game. And everyone abides by these rules. I think it's a very clear-cut yeah. situation what the right thing to do is, uh, and he just broke the rule. And I think, you know, it's kind of our job to call him out for that. And it's obvious stat padding. And look, if you're going to stat pad, do it like Russell Westbrook does, and do it in the middle of the game and just steal rebounds from your teammates <laughs> and just, you know, do it to your teammates so you can apologize and just buy them all Rolexes and, and Jordans after the game or, or you know, over the weekend or whatever. Um, but you can't do it like that. 
Uh, I would agree with you. I, I, it's true. He was out of line. Let's go to Toronto where the Raptors were able to beat the Jazz uh, without Kawhi Leonard, which, you know, says a lot. Look, we could talk about Kawhi Leonard, how important he's been to the Raptors so far this season. But look, they've won a couple of games now without without Kawhi. This team is deep. They're re- they look really great. Uh, Kyle Lowry is playing the best basketball that we've ever seen him play. True or false, Ben, the Raptors have pole position to re-sign Kawhi Leonard after the season. I would actually say true right now, but I'm curious. What do you think? I'm with you. I think it's true, and I think we keep looking at, you know, the obvious corollary here is the Paul George situation last year. I think it's a little bit different um, just because Paul George was like, I'm going to L.A., and Kawhi Leonard's like, I don't know what I'm doing ever. Um, and because and he's a weird guy to read, and I don't think he really knows what he wants to do, and there's all that kind of stuff over him. But... Right now, I think, like, you look at this Raptors roster, I think that they, they are clearly the best team in the East. There doesn't re- You look at what's going on in the West right now, and it's just like, uh, the Warriors look better than ever. Um, there's a lot of great, they're, they're, you know, a lot of good teams there with the Rockets, the Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, the way that they're playing. LeBron is over there. It's like, if you're Kawhi, like, I kind of like it in the East. I kind of get why LeBron stayed here for, for the first 16 years of his career. It's kind of dope. So I think, yeah, true. Well, I think they've done a, a lot of really smart things. First of all, the roster is in great shape. And I think, you know, at times there was questions like, is Toronto better with DeRozan or without DeRozan? And look, if you just put a replacement level player in that spot in place of DeMar, you know, they'd probably be worse off than they were last year. But instead, they're replacing him with, you know, one of the best guys that's out there. And a lot of their young guys have taken steps forward. So to me, this Raptors team is clearly better than last year's group, um, even though Kawhi is only playing like half the games or a little over half the games. Uh, the other smart thing that they've done, you know, in addition to their roster construction, uh, you know, it's basically catering to him, saying, mm-hmm. look, whenever you want to have a night off, you can have a night off. I mean, and Kawhi Leonard is taking more than his fair share of nights off. I mean, like him and Jimmy Butler are in a race to see who can rest more often here early in the season. And obviously they're doing it in different ways. You know, Jimmy's telling everybody about it constantly and Kawhi is doing it very quietly. But, uh, you know, letting him know you're a superstar friendly organization, you're not going to put too much of a burden on him. You see the big picture just like the Spurs did. You want to keep him healthy for the playoffs and potentially even the finals. Those are all really smart things to be doing. It does seem like he's on pay, uh, on board or on the same page uh, with their coaching staff too. Nick Nurse, I would think, uh, you know, has looked phenomenal out of the gate. I mean, when you have a, a transition like that with some difficult personalities and Lowry and, and Kawhi Leonard, you expect early bumps in the road, and they just haven't had that. And they've scored some really, really quality wins here you know, right out of the gate, again, in some of these games uh, with, without Kawhi. So when you're talking about environment in the Eastern Conference that you mentioned, without the scrutiny of dealing with the LeBron show with the Lakers or, you know, potentially like Kawhi versus LeBron if he was to go, go to the Clippers, um, I mean, there's a lot of situations where he would face more pressure and more attention uh, than he than he does in Toronto because they're a deep team and they've kind of uh, you know been established here for multiple years and they've got other big personalities on that squad. I think it's looking like a pretty nice fit, uh, all things considered. Now, do people get into his ear and say, "Look, you should be more famous than you are. You should have a bigger shoe deal than you've had in the past." Like, does he wind up getting steered to a different situation? You know, I don't know, but I don't think Toronto's sales pitch to Kawhi Leonard could have gone any better than it has so far over the first month of the season. That's the thing, right? Is ultimately, does he want to be the big star, and can you be the big star in Toronto? But we've already we already assume he probably doesn't want to go to the Lakers based on his comments. Maybe you go to L.A. and end up signing with the Clippers. I, th- I definitely think that's a real 
option there. But look, Toronto's an awesome city. It's getting a lot more love in the in the basketball world. And if look, if you're in the finals, you're going to get the attention. I mean, it's you and the Warriors for two weeks out of the year, so you're going to get some attention there. Um, it's time to break out the breakfast cereal as we look ahead to tonight's games. But first, a quick break. All right, Ben, it's time for your favorite game. Time to play cereal or not cereal when we look ahead to Tuesday night's games and decide whether or not they're good enough to sit down and enjoy with a bowl of cereal. Pretty simple. Um, Last week, we had, I think, 11 games to go through or something crazy like that. This week, we've got four. So really easy to pick pick your uh, poison here. We'll start 4 p.m. Atlanta at Charlotte. Is that a serial game or not serial? You know, uh, last week you were trying to sell me on the Hornets. I'm I'm saying this game is serial. I want to watch this game, but not because of Charlotte. It's because of Atlanta. I've been having uh, so much fun watching Trey Young in these early games this uh, you know this season. I mean, the 4 p.m. tip time. Look, he's not a consistent guy, night in and night out. You you don't know what you're going to get necessarily with the Trey Young experience. But when he's on. To me, the Hawks are one of the most entertaining teams to watch in the NBA, and and some of that's just the newness factor. You know, I haven't seen him do it before on this level, but I just love watching this kid. You know, figure things out, run the offense, you know, set up his shooters, run the pick and roll, and of course, when he gets hot off the dribble, I love seeing that too. So, to me, I, I'm definitely tuning in for this one. This is definitely serial, and I should say, by the way, I say 4 p.m. because we're both West Coast guys. And so if you East Coast elites have a problem with that, do the math. It's a three-hour difference. That means it's 7 o'clock your time. But we're, we're rolling with West Coast time because I'm sick of the East Coast time dominating the world right now. Um, 4 p.m., Atlanta at Charlotte. I've got it as cereal. I, I'm with you. I love watching Trey Young because you don't know if he's going to be good and you don't know if he's going to be bad. And that's part, of the, that's part of the fun, right? It's like the trick-or-treat thing. And then Kemba Walker is playing awesome. I really do watch, like watching Charlotte. That's cereal for me, and the next game's not until an hour and a half later at 5.30, 8.30 for you East Coasters. Washington at Dallas. This is decidedly not cereal. Yeah, it's tricky. You have to talk yourself into it. I'm probably with you there on it being a no, but I have watched a bunch of the Wizards games just to be a rubbernecker, just to gawk at their dysfunction and see how it can go wrong next. And you can actually <laughs> kind of say the same thing low-key for the Mavericks, like, these guys don't get along. They're not on the same page. Like Luca has a vision of himself as a future superstar, and his teammates are not sold on that vision quite yet. He's still working to earn their trust, to earn the touches, to earn the the late game shots. I and mean, there's not a lot of chemistry building between him and Dennis Smith Jr. So I would say keep this on the second screen just in case a disaster mm-hmm. erupts on either side. I'm a little worried about Dennis Smith Jr. I don't like a dude like DeAndre Jordan who's sort of like shoving Luca out of the way for rebounds and stuff. Like he could do that. He's a veteran. He's on he's just he's not that much longer for the league. He could just he's got it, he's got it figured out. He's is I'm not worried about him. But for a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. who was kind of the young dude there last year, Luca walks in, he's like, "No, now I'm the guy. You're just some other guy now." I'm a little worried about what that does to his confidence. I think that that point guards typically need a long time. There's a steep learning curve, right? When you go go into the NBA and Luca who is you know, hybrid ball handler wing guy who needs the ball in his hands to be most effective and is getting the shots at the end of these games. He's looked really impressive, but I wonder what this does to Dennis Smith Jr. Um, Maybe, yeah, I think second screen, I can look at it. Let me just say this about Dennis Smith Jr. Like, even put the Lucas stuff aside, this guy's just not very good at basketball. He's just a low IQ player. (laughs) Uh, He's lost a lot. He doesn't really make his teammates better. Not a good defensive player. Bad shot selection. I'm not going to say he's the full Moutier, 
I think he's like a 60 to 75% of a Moutier at this point. And I think the biggest value he has to the Dallas Mavericks is he's a great tank commander. Like if you want to lose games, like if you want to ensure you're going to have a top seven pick next year, keep playing Dennis Smith Jr. If you want to win games, move him out of the way, give the ball to Luca and see what happens. All right. That's a good one. Um, 6 p.m. Brooklyn at Phoenix. This one's interesting. Brooklyn? Kind of fun to watch. I know who their players are now. I like Karis LeVert. Um, the Spencer Dinwiddie show is kind of interesting. Jared Allen, one of my favorite guys, second-year sophomore guys to watch this year. I think he's take he's taken a step forward. And then Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton, number one pick. There's always something to watch there. Devin Booker, you never know when he's going to go off for 70. Um, I've got this as cereal. I'm going the other way. I say not serial. Look, I'd rather watch these teams and these players play in summer league in person rather than on TV. I mean, it's something about watching the Suns and they're just like their consistent mistakes. They always find ways to screw things up. And it just leaves me very, very frustrated. Aiden to me, you know, phenomenal offensive talent, but defensively, he just grinds my gears. He's just always half step late, a full step late. And I've already gotten a little bit sick of the DeAndre Ayton rookie experience. I'm not writing him off, you know, forever, but I I don't know. They're, they're a very tough sell to me. I'm with you on Brooklyn. You know, they're, they're spunky. There's no question about it. You know, Dinwiddie is playing uh, with insane levels of confidence. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Karis LeVert, like you mentioned, is intriguing. He's always up to stuff. Allen is a premier rim protector Uh, and they've got some other nice pieces too, but Look, they're not going to be able to carry a game for me. I'm only watching the Nets if they're playing an interesting team, and uh, Phoenix does not qualify for me. Well, speaking of interesting teams, last game of the night, 7 p.m., Milwaukee at Portland. Uh, Milwaukee, of course, looks great. This, and this is a big week for the Bucks, right? I mean, Mike Budenholzer has turned this team around. Giannis is a legit MVP contender, and this week they're playing Portland. Tuesday night, and then they play the Clippers, and then they play at Denver. All of these are road games. This is going to be a good test for them, and it starts off again with Portland. This is the most serial game of the night for me. This is this is the one that you watch. This is the one you stay up and watch the whole thing. There's no question. Uh, clear clear pick here. Yes, you're going to want to watch this game. You said it's a good test for them. I would even raise that up a notch. I would say it's a great test for them because a lot of their early season schedule has been home heavy, right? Like they've just been Mm -hmm. running team off the court, but they've been doing it at home where they're very comfortable, brand new building, kind of an excitement up there. And, you know, their style has caught some people by surprise. Let's see, does that style travel, right? Does that coach bud, you know, three-point emphasis and everybody's getting good quality shots every single possession, you're running up and down the court. It's a little bit more difficult to do that on the road. And I think Portland... Uh, has been one of the better under-the-radar stories to start the season. They're playing really good basketball without C.J. McCollum. I mean, the story used to be, okay, it's Dame and C.J. and everybody else is met. And this year it's been, Dame has been solid, and they've got like seven or eight other guys contributing, and C.J. is still trying to find his way. But the thing with a scorer like C.J., he's not going to slump forever. Like he's, I mean, he's not like uh, clay Thompson level. Like I'm going to bust out of a slump with 50 points at three quarters. He might not quite be on that level, uh, but he's, he's definitely a ticking time bomb. And you know, this could be an opportunity for him to get right against a pretty premier opponent and, and get people talking about the Blazers for real. Damian Lillard, after one season of elbowing his way into the MVP conversation, doing it again this year. I mean, the guy has gotten even better somehow. Um, and can, he's, a, he's a legitimate top 10 player. I don't think you can even argue that. And look, uh, I think we're definitely, like, Yusuf Nurkic is the center in Port- for, for the Trailblazers. So we are almost guaranteed a Giannis highlight uh, 
in this game. So oh, oh yeah, definitely something to look. Nurkic is very skilled at getting posterized, but you know one other guy who they may try to go to is Zach Collins, and he's played pretty well here early in the season. Yes, and you know he's pretty long too. Like you get him underneath the rim, and he can move a little bit. I could see him trying to contest Giannis, and again. Uh, another potential poster victim for uh, you know the young posterizer in chief in Giannis. Well, we'll have to wait to find out, but that's all we have for today. If you're not already, you could subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes and listen wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to catch Ben at Sports Illustrated and on the Open Floor podcast. I'll be over at Locked On Heat for the rest of the week. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next Tuesday. Thanks for joining me, Ben. Thanks a lot, man.